Greetings in, in Jesus' name. And I welcome each and every one of you to this uh, portion of the service here, here today. Uh, today I'll be sharing from Ecclesiastes. Um, no, I'm not completely done with that book yet, but uh, I, uh, I have thoroughly loved it myself, and I hope it's been half as enjoyable for you. But I'll be sharing from Ecclesiastes 11. I am getting to the end of it. And uh, as you probably remember, we've spent a lot of time talking about vanity, uh, the things of this world and things, as he would say, under the sun, which he's referring to things of this world and materialism, and uh, just the whole lack of what that really means to us in, in light of eternity, and how if we live that way, and if we live for them days of money and of fame and of riches and of power, it just becomes vanity. And in our life, it is just a vanity of the vanities. And I uh, find it terribly interesting. I think I mentioned this, and I did not bring up my notes from that time, but that one time Solomon was talking about how much gold that guy amassed in one year. It's just astounding the amount of money he had. And yet, as he sits on his back porch and writes this down, he says, vanity is vanity. But what I would like us to look at today, it does feel like there's some nuggets of truth in uh, Ecclesiastes 11 that are not just vanity. And I think as he closes out Ecclesiastes, he's got some real nuggets of truth for us that are truths that uh, have an, uh, an eternal meaning and reward for us. And uh, that was exciting and fun for me to look at, I guess. And I'd like to share them with you here today. I do believe he gets into a little bit of the true meaning of life and what really does matter no matter if God gives you 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, 100 years, um, that we can honestly look back someday and say it's not vanity because of what we did for Jesus Christ. So I'd like to read the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, giving a serving to seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be done on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls, in the, falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. <clears throat> As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Truly the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. And if a man lives many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be, be many. All that is coming is vanity. I did find it intriguing. He got vanity in there right at the end. But I'd like to look at this a little bit. Um, as I was studying here, it says, cast your bread up on the waters. Some of the commentators said this may just be an analogy of a wise thing, of materialistic, um, of sending your stuff off. And he says, for you will find it after many days. So they said, maybe uh, this refers to the, the shipping ventures of that day. And, and the, re, the great uh, patience you have to have for the return of that investment. If you ship grain off, 
it may be a long, long time back then until you would have saw anything. Today, we ship grain to the town of Kelowna. They can cut you a check then or it's in the mail like that or they'll directly deposit it. But with this day, back in the day of age, um, and I'm not saying that is not totally, but I do believe no matter what I would like to look at it is from a spiritual sense. And I would like to look at it as something that a return is not immediately seen. And I do believe that's what Solomon is writing here. In them first two verses, he says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. And so I ask this question is, I believe what he is saying here is... Um, How about we take the time to invest our talents, our resources, our wealth, whatever it may be, whatever God has given you, and not expect immediate returns? Now, I understand we live in America. We have microwaves. Nuke it. Instant. The faster, the better. If you can't get it binging back on your phone within seconds, that's a snail mail. Forget it. I found it intriguing, and this is just a side note, but... We tore our old house down the last couple weeks. And in there from the early 1900s, Hills Bank sent you this uh, nice little advertisement. And it said, use the mail for your banking. It's cutting edge. Yeah, now we're 110 years later and what's the mail? Do we even trust it? Does the mailman even come? But that was cutting edge back in the early 1900s. There was an advertisement in there. Use the mail for your banking. Anyway, side note on that one. But today, what is our mindset? And I believe that is what Solomon is, is, is saying here in his, uh, in his encouragement to us in these first two verses. I'd like to look at them together, but I'd like to look at this um, on a spiritual sense. So what is he trying to tell us? And I do believe when he says, cast your bread upon the waters, he is saying, no matter what you have, no matter what you do, you have something. Each and every one of us has been given a talent, a gift. Every single person here, you might be the brokest of the brokest. You still have something that God wants you to do for him. And I believe the whole idea of casting out, the whole thought of if we do not give that to Christ, if we do not take that talent, that gift, that, that wealth, that whatever it may be, if we do not pass that on, then we just hoard it. And if we, don't, if we do not help somebody else with that, if we do not, maybe, and I'd like to use the analogy here, he says, uh, and serving to seven and also to eight. So why seven and eight? I don't really have an answer for that one, to be honest with you. But I, what I took from it is the fact that he's saying, give, serve to someone. And, and we have this tendency in today, when we go to, uh, to look at that, we say, well, you know, we, we're doing this, and so that's all we can do. We don't want to do any more. And there is a point where we have our limitations. But I ask you this question. When he mentions it, he says the seven and also the eighth. If you've got more to give, what are you giving? 
I believe that's what he's trying to encourage us here. One of, the, one of the values of life that is not vanity is what we give and what we serve, what we help somebody else with. You might be the one in here that's got the money rolling in. You can just send checks out right and left. You know, and God bless you if you can. But I don't think he's just talking about wealth as we know money here. I believe it can be wealth. I believe it can be talents. I believe it can be our ministry. Are we willing to even give that eighth one a consideration? Are we willing to say, no, no, no. See, I'm already overbooked. And I got to have some for myself. Are you hoarding it or are you casting it out on the waters to help those around you? Are you willing to say, I am willing to, throw, to give that out? Knowing that every turn. I mean, I, and I'm sure you guys have helped people in the past and you say, really? <laughs> so I spent all this time and, and it's been several years ago, but I'd, I'd meet with this fellow and I'd be like, wow, I might have wasted my afternoon, right? You know, it felt like you went nowhere. But the truth of the matter is, he doesn't say cast your bread up on the waters and help somebody if it makes a return. Otherwise, stop. I believe what, what we're trying to share here is give, serve to the seventh and the eighth and let God do the returns. And I think that's where we get caught up. We have, we have excuses. We, um, we say, well, hey, you know, I've, I, what if that's not a good cause? And I think we have to be careful with that. Um, I do believe sometimes we have to be very careful on what we do and say. Don't get me wrong. But are we willing to go the extra mile? Are you willing to go the extra mile? I believe sometimes we have hoarded our gifts and our talents. And we have sat on them. And they have become rotten. And I know I analogy this back a little bit to a farmer. But if I just sit on my grain and I put it in that bin and I just let it there. Or maybe I pile it on the ground and I just let it there. And I, one year goes to two and two goes to three and three goes to ten. When I come back and get that pile of grain or that bin load of grain that I've just hoarded and sat on. Almost guarantee you there will be spoilage in there. Almost guarantee you there'll be very little that's a whole lot of anything except for cattle feed. And it ain't even very good that. It may be totally rotten. So I ask you that question. Are you hoarding your gifts? I don't think, uh, I'm not here to even argue if you have gifts. I know that every single human being here today has been given a gift by God. And I believe he's asking us to cast them out on the waters. To say, what God do you have for me today. Moving on to, to verse 3. If the, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. So, honestly, what does that have to do with anything? Now, I'm not supposed to be that honest. I'm supposed to have a reason for all, right? No, I'll be honest with you. I think this is actually a cause and effect. Simply put, they're full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the north, it falls to the south, that's where it's at. But I did come across an enduring word, the commentary there. I want you to think about this. Um, these, these proverbs, Solomon expressed the idea of cause and effect. Clouds are designed to be full of rain, and therefore to empty themselves upon the earth. 
For Spurgeon, the idea of design and what comes from it suggested the work of Jesus for us. Now, dear heart, if you believe his Christ to be a cloud that is full of rain, for what reason is he full? Why? That he may empty himself upon the earth. There was no need that he should be a man full of sympathy except to sympathize with mourning men and women. There was no need that he should bleed except that he bleed for you. There was no necessary that he should die except the the power of his death might deliver you from death. And that really blessed my heart. The whole thought that our Lord and Savior came here and the only reason he died and the only reason he bled was for me and for you. He didn't need it. He was perfect. But he came here and he died as you might say, this cloud of rain that replenishes the earth. But he gave us that opportunity. We talked about in Sunday school today a little bit about that. We are guilty before a just God. But our Lord and Savior, Christ, when he died, he's our mediator for us. So that was intriguing to me as we, uh, we look at that, that verse there because the effect of Christ's life, if we accept that shed blood changes our life. Just as a cloud of rain can change your yard, your crop, whatever it may be, it can replenish the earth. Moving on to verses 4 through 6. And I'm going to pull out verse 5 first, and then I'm going to put 4 and 6 together there. And uh, verse 5 I'd like to label that as God is an amazing, amazing God that we don't even always understand. It says, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. See, I believe there's an infinite amount of knowledge about how God works that we do not know. We really can't even understand. Because he's the God of God and the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's everything. He created this world that just keeps right on going. He's put laws into motion that govern this world. He's made galaxies. It's it's an amazing God. I believe that when we study what God has done and who God is, even though our our tiny little minds, or I'm going to speak for myself, but my tiny little brain doesn't even really hardly comprehend God. But I do believe, take the time to study who God is, even if, as it's stated here, so we do not know the works of God who makes everything always. I believe it is so good for us to to look into what God has done. Because I believe it should should send shivers up our back, you might say. It should make you excited about our God and Lord when we study the mass amazingness of God. You may still not understand. I do believe that is probably okay. I don't know if our brains can even comprehend that until someday. But I came across um, a little... A little story here from Freddie Fritz. Consider God's work in creation. In 2004, the Hubie Space Telescope photographed a tiny sliver of space through prolonged exposures that lasted for more than 11 days. Then astronomers counted the number of galaxies in the photograph. In that one little subsection of the universe, there were 10,000 galaxies, each one containing 100 billion stars. 
Who can explain how all those stars came into being? Or go to the other end of the scale, where, where scientists have, are trying to discover tangible evidence of the last atomic particle. Yet as soon as they observe it, if they ever do, they will wonder if there's anything even smaller. That's our God. We know how that came into being. We understand the billions and billions of stars. We don't get how they work and we don't understand everything. But we know that our God created that. And I believe that no matter if we totally can wrap our brain around that fact, the one thing that God is asking us, he is asking us that we obey him. He's saying, serve me. So how do we do that? Verses 4 and 6, and I'd like to uh, package them together, as I mentioned earlier. He observes the wind, will not sow, and he regards the clouds, will not reap. In the morning, sow your seed, in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or, or whether both alike will be good. I package them together because I believe the simple message here today out of Ecclesiastes that I believe is not vanity, but is the meaning of our life, one of the meanings of our life. And that is, it is time to serve. It is time to give. Serve the wind, and we say, well, we're not going to reap, and I'm going to, here again, go back to farming. But if I sit out there and I say, well, I think it's gonna, the wind's going to be too hot tomorrow, so the seed probably won't grow anyway, I'm not going to plant. And then the next day comes, and I say, well, now the ground's too dry, there's no use to plant again. Or maybe it's too wet. Now, you have to have common sense when you do plant corn and beans. But, but I believe what he is trying to say here is sometimes in our life, we sit back and we look at all the negatives. And we look back and we say, hey, you know, something's going to go wrong anyway. If I go serve, if I go give, somebody's going to waste my money. Somebody's going to waste my time. Somebody's not going to really care that I'm out there trying to help them. So for that reason, I'm going to do nothing. And we sit back and we do nothing. And we sit on top of our pile of grain and we hoard it. I believe Eric Alexander shared this in Grace Quotes. There is no ideal place to serve God except the place where he has set you down. I believe God is simply saying, bloom where you're planted. Folks, let's not look for excuses and reasons. We may say, well, we're not in a perfect situation. We don't have a perfect church, so we're not going to help. We don't have a perfect situation to help in because after all, Ellis is better at it than I am, so let him do it. We may say, you know what, Shane can do that ten times better, so I'm going to do nothing at all. Well, I don't think God's trying to tell us that. I think what he's trying to say is if we are going to look for and worry about the wind of tomorrow so we don't sow, so we don't do something for someone else, then guess what? You're never going to reap you say, well, it might be better in the evening and then in the morning, so I'll just wait till the evening and then the next evening you say, well, I bet it would be better in the morning. I'll wait till morning. And we just go through this vicious cycle and we never do anything. How's God's work going to get done? Let me tell you something. God's work is going to get done. 
It's just a matter if you're going to be part of that work. God's work will go on. Somebody, somewhere, God will accomplish his goals. It's a matter of you, if you're going to be on that train. If you're going to be the one willing to say, you know what, God's asked me to bloom right where I'm planted. And no, it's not perfect. And no, I don't even enjoy it. And no, I'm not even really good at it. But God has given me this talent, and I'm going to give it to someone else. I believe, as I said earlier, each one of us has something to give to the the world. Each one of us has something that we can do. I believe we need to quit watching and waiting for a perfect scenario. And we need to go ahead and serve. We need to go ahead and do something. I feel like we have good intentions even. We say, yeah, we want to be part of that. world that you can do for a brother a sister a neighbor a friend an enemy somebody out of here and go do it because i think that's the difference sometimes we sit in church and we think about all this stuff and we think So let's do it. Let's give. Let's serve. Let's help. But we leave it in church. And Monday we go back to hoarding. And Tuesday we hoard. Wednesday we hoard. I'd like to say, let's write it on the board. I don't have that board here today. But let's go and give it to the world. Let's go do it. Let's, let's, maybe it's just a hug. Maybe it's a coworker that someday needs a hug or, or just needs some, an ear for somebody to listen to. We sit here... And we all have phones, and we have instant phones. We carry our phone everywhere we go. And we almost live with that phone. And we can send a text to almost anyone. But I'm gonna encourage you, and I know I've shared this before, but the dear brother Dorn, as he drives past my house every so often a week, he honks at me. And he says the reason I honk is because I prayed for you. Do we even take the time to pray for each other? And I'm going to go back to that phone situation. I'm going to encourage us to think about this. And don't do this just because I told you or because you think it's the right thing to do it. But do it because God has placed it in your heart if he does. Would it be too much to ask for you to send one text a month out to somebody? Say, you know what? I have no idea what's going on in your life, but I prayed for you today. One a month. Would that be too much to ask? Would it be too much to ask one a week? How about one a day? How many people could you bless if we did one a week? I don't even know how many people are here today. I'm not going to take the time to count either. But we'd have quite a, uh, a group of blessing if we would all text one person this next week. Don't have to be from here. It can be a neighbor. 
Take that moment of time and say, God bless you. I, I, just, I just want to tell you, God bless you. I prayed for you this morning. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to take our unperfect situations and use them for what God has for us? I believe sometimes our excuses and our inactivity is only an excuse. There is no excuse to be inactive. We must be faithful to serve and to sow the seed that God has given us to sow, even if we don't understand. I believe every, everything we do, we have a chance. Or I shouldn't say everything. Majority of our life, what we do, we have a chance to affect somebody if we allow God to work through us. I've got a story in closing here I'd like to read. Dr. James Thompson wrote a book entitled When God Doesn't Make Sense. And in his book, he shared an illustration of, of this verse. Um, in 1945, a young associate pastor named Cliff married his fiancée, Billy. When they had, they had very little money, but scraped up enough to take a honeymoon. When they arrived at the hotel, they were told it was now a rehabilitation center and not available to overnight guests. They hitchhiked to a grocery store several miles down the road. The owner was sympathetic to their situation and let them stay in a room over the store. The, only, the owner quickly caught on that they were Christians and, and he referred them to a friend with a nicer place to stay for the rest of their honeymoon. During their week, the, their host invited them to attend a youth rally at a nearby Christian conference center. The regular song leader was ill that night, so Cliff was asked, if he might take charge of the music service. He consented and led the music before a young evangelist named Billy stepped up to preach. Cliff Burrows met Billy Graham that night and formed a ministry team that had preached the gospel through the world for 50 years. When your plans don't seem to work out, perhaps God has something bigger in mind. He did, he sure did for Cliff and his wife that night. They could have sat there and said, it's our honeymoon. It's all messed up. We couldn't even have a place to stay. I ain't going there. What does God have in it for me? But I believe that they took this literally, and they didn't worry about the wind that was coming tomorrow. They went and served. And for 50 years, him and Billy Graham shared the ministry of God's word to the world around him. What are you doing? Are you willing to sow? Are we willing to serve? May God bless you.